Well, good morning, church family. Glad you could uh, join us for worship uh, today. Uh, hopefully about this time, I am uh, completing my, my marathon downtown uh, in Austin. So uh, today we thought we'd do things just a little bit differently as we preach this uh, message from the book of Nehemiah. As you can tell, I am not in the sanctuary. We are out on location, just like Nehemiah did in chapter two. He went out and inspected and viewed the wall so that he could get an accurate assessment of really what, what was going on. And so I thought we would do that today, just a little bit different as we're out here in beautiful Austin, uh, looking out over Lake Austin. And uh, we're on the property of one of our church members who graciously allowed us to come out and to shoot this, uh, this message here uh, on video. So again, we're, we're glad that you're with us, glad that you could come and, and worship the Lord with us. And now uh, we're just going to get into the Word of God. We're going to study it together. And uh, we are in a series of messages on the book of Nehemiah. He was the governor of Jerusalem from about 444 B.C. to about 432 B.C. And he was, as we have noticed in the past, he was a layman. Uh, he was the uh, cupbearer for King Artaxerxes there in the capital, Susa, in Persia. And uh, he is a man who is very homesick. He wants to get back to uh, his homeland. And so God calls him. God calls this layman uh, out of a very prestigious occupation and vocation. And he says, Nehemiah, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild uh, the decimated, destroyed wall. And so that's what Nehemiah does. And over the next four months, he prays, he fasts, he seeks God's heart in the matter, and he begins to plan and to prepare. And then he takes off. And uh, in chapter two, we'll pick up where he actually lands in Jerusalem and he begins his journey of, of evaluating and studying uh, just really what is going on there uh, on location. Um, so Nehemiah chapter 2, and in a moment we're going to begin reading in verse 11, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. And I think you'll be very impressed with Nehemiah. I've already been very impressed with him as he is such a, a good and godly man. He's a good leader. He's a great planner. Uh, he's a compassionate person. He asks lots of questions, and he just has so many exemplary qualities about him that I think, you know, wherever you are in life today, and obviously you're probably not building a wall. I know we're not building really anything at Great Hills structurally or physically, but we are trying to build a great church that loves God and loves people and makes disciples. And I know you're wanting to build a great family or maybe you're trying to build a great business or a sports team, but whatever it is, I think you'll notice in God's word today that there are principles there about leadership that you can take and just extract right out of the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can apply those directly to your life. I was thinking about William of Ockham. William of Ockham uh, was a, a man that lived over 600 years ago, and he was banished from his country of England. And while he was banished as a philosopher, he created this philosophical concept called uh, Ockham's Razor. And, and Ockham's Razor means that you take as a philosopher, and you take the big picture, and then you begin to whittle away or take a razor and just cut off the superfluous or cut off the fat, if you will, and just really narrow down what it is, what is your main objective. And so they've named a whole philosophical principle after William of Ockham called Ockham's Razor. Well, Nehemiah lived 2,000 years before Ockham, but you see the same principle in his life. He sees the big picture. But then he begins to narrow down and ascertain what is it exactly that God wants me to do and how am I to go about doing this, rebuilding this wall. So I'm going to read for you uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter 2. Uh, he didn't have 
iPad back then, but, but we do today, and I'm, I'm grateful to God for, for technology. And so we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 2. Take me just a moment as we read through this great story, this great text, as he makes his way from Persia to Jerusalem. So I came, Nehemiah said in verse 11, to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out, Nehemiah says, I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate. And I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates were burned with fire. And then it gets very detailed. He begins to describe the actual journey that he took that night as he walked around the wall. He says, I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the valley, by, uh, went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then verse 17 says, it's kind of transition from the planning and the preparation. Then he goes into motivation. He starts motivating the people that are actually going to do the work. And then I said to them, you see the distress that we, not you, that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, he says, come on, guys, let's build this wall in Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good to me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And so they said in unison, they said, let us rise up, Nehemiah, and let's build this wall. Then they set their hands to this good work. Ah, but verse 19 comes opposition. Listen, whenever God does a great work, you, you can count on there's going to be some opposing forces. And so verse 19, it says, But when Sanballat the Horonite, we've seen this guy before, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and then they add a third one, Geshem the Arab, when they heard of it, well, they laughed at us, and they scorned us, and they despised us, the Bible says. And they said, well, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And then Nehemiah said, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we are his servants and we will arise and we will build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. First thing I want you to notice from our text today in Nehemiah's life is this, is that good leaders, they plan well. Uh, they do their homework and they get into the, uh, to the details and, and the facts of really what, what is going on. And this is what Nehemiah found when he went to Jerusalem. He had heard all these reports that the wall had been uh, destroyed, that it was in great distress and the, the city of Jerusalem was exposed to the elements and to invaders. and so. He heard all of that in Persia, but now after about four or five months of journey, and you notice in verse 11 that he finally makes his way to uh, Jerusalem. And, and the Bible says that he didn't do anything for about three days. And if you've ever traveled long distance, you know that 
and it takes some time just to kind of get your feet underneath you and just kind of get acclimated to your new environment. And that's what he does. But I think even during those three days, he's still thinking and he's praying and he's planning. And so the time is right, verse 12, and he gets some guys, just a small handful of guys, and he gets on whether it's a mule, a donkey, a horse, we, we don't know, but he gets on an animal, a beast of burden, and he goes, and this is what he finds. He finds precisely what he had been told, and he sees that the, the wall had been, well, it was destroyed, it was decimated. And, uh, and because of the wall being looking like this, basically, uh, he, knew, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew that God had called him. He knew the time was right. And so when you look in the text that I read just a few minutes ago, you'll notice that uh, he begins at night on his journey, and he begins to, to look and to inspect, to evaluate re really what is going on and how am I going to uh, rally the troops and, and rebuild this wall around Jerusalem. Well, let me say this. The wall was more than just a wall of protection. The wall represents uh, solidarity. It represents stability. It represents life and worship and Jerusalem is, is now she's safe and she's protected and the people can worship in the temple freely and the people can live their lives. And so there's a lot riding on this wall. And so here he goes, Nehemiah. He goes out under the cover of darkness. And he's so stinking smart. He just, he just knows what he's doing and he's not telling anybody because he's got to ascertain the facts. He's, he's planning, he's, he's thinking through uh, the process. Uh, one writer, Derek Kinder, says this about our text in verses 11 through 20. He says, Nehemiah, as ever, is a model of good sense and piety and attention to detail. For all of his speed and drive, he does not rush into action or into talk. He, he takes his time, he evaluates, and he studies. And he goes on to say, but above and beyond all of his sound tactics, however, was the conviction that Nehemiah had that basically this project was not his. This was from God for Jerusalem. It was not for Nehemiah nor his prestige, end of quote. Well, in verse 16, Nehemiah thought through his project and he, he planned well. And he's, um, well, let's, let's look at it for just a moment. Uh, you have here on the screen, you have a diagram of the, the wall back then. And if you'll look on the screen, I have a uh, a, a little picture here I want to show you. If you look to the, to the left, you'll see the valley gate, and that's where uh, Nehemiah began that night as he was inspecting uh, the wall. He travels south uh, along the, the perimeter of the south wall, and he makes his way eventually to the refuse or the dung gate, and that is what you think it is. That's where you know, they, they put their... Uh, yeah, that's where they... Uh, put the refuse, you know, put the sewage. That's the word I'm looking for. That was the sewage, all right, the, the dung gate. So he had to deal with that. He's walking around. And then he heads north up toward the fountain gate, the king's pool, and then he makes it finally to the water gate. And that's about as far as he's going to go because he, he, he has ascertained what he needs to know. And then Nehemiah, he, he backtracks. He retraces his step from the water gate to the fountain gate, back to the dung gate and then up to the valley gate, and that was, that was his journey. And remember, he's, he's planning, he's thinking, he's very meticulous with his details. He has a small group of guys around him. By the way, he's not in isolation. He's not a lone ranger. Even, even in this preparation phase, he's got people with him that he's, he's, uh, he's trusted. I believe these are confidants. I believe these are some, like David's mighty men. I believe these are men that Nehemiah greatly trusts, and so they're walking with him as he's looking at, at the wall. 
you know, I was thinking about some great leaders and how they were all men of, of great preparation. I thought of, of Booker T. Washington. He was the first president of Tuskegee Institute uh, in the state of Alabama. I believe it was 1896. Yes, it was. 1896, he asked a man by the name of George Washington Carver to head up the Agricultural Department of Tuskegee Institute. And of course, Carver went on to develop 300 different products from all things of one simple peanut. But Booker T. Washington was quite a remarkable man. He was a philanthropist. He was born a slave. And yet he rose to such prominence in America that he actually was at a point where he was advising presidents of the United States. God had his hand on Booker T. Washington. He was a gifted leader, but he was a man of, of detail and a man of preparation. Marvin Olasky's written a fine book and it's entitled The American Leadership Tradition. And, and in this book, what he does, he, he traces the great leaders of America and almost all of them are presidents except three men. One of them is Henry Clay. He was the ninth uh, Secretary of State of the United States. The other one, what's not a president, was John D. Rockefeller, who, was, who created uh, the great Standard Oil in empire. And then the next one was this man, Booker T. Washington. He was the third one chosen by Marvin Olasky. When you talk about great leaders in America, and this is what he said. He's actually quoting Booker T. Washington when he said, We must not be afraid to pay the price of success. In a business, the price is sleepless nights, the price of toil when others rest, the price of planning today for tomorrow, this year for the next year, Booker T. Washington says. And he goes on to say this, success, and I love this quote. I hope this blesses you as much as it blessed me. Success is to be determined not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. So the first thing I want you to, uh, to look at with me is this, that good leaders, uh, they plan well. They, they do their homework, they do their research, and before they announce all of their, uh, their grandiose plans, if you will, they go through a process of really studying uh, the facts, and that's what we see Nehemiah doing. And the second thing I want you to notice with me today is this, is that good leaders, they're good motivators. They know how to motivate other people to come alongside them and join them in the work. If you'll notice in verse 17, it begins by saying, then I said. And I know those are just three words, but they have a lot of meaning to them because now Nehemiah, he's gone through the research phase. Now he's about to get into the verbal stage. He's about to begin actually communicating and speaking what it is uh, that, that he would like the people to do to build, to build the wall. He reminds them of the the desperate situation really what is going on he before he just says let's let's go and let's build he says let me remind you and it's interesting when you do the word study in verse 17 he uses the same hebrew words of nehemiah 1 3. he uses the word raw which is unhappiness or misery and that's what he says he says the uh, the walls are, are broken down, the, the distress is before us, and the other Hebrew word he uses is kerpa, which is scorn or contempt. And he's saying to them, he says, yes, guys, I, I've heard it, now I've seen it with my eyes. The wall is in disarray. And not only is the wall in disarray and, and destroyed, 
it's cast contempt upon us as the people of God. People are looking upon us as, well, where, where is their God? I, where, is, where is he in their time of trial and need? And so he's, he's amassing this intellectual information, if you will, and he's presenting it now in his case to the people. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, listening to it to a podcast, and they had an excerpt of Winston Churchill in his own voice speaking to the to the Allied uh, armies and speaking to Great Britain specifically. But in this uh, podcast, which I'm going to let you listen to it here in just a moment, you'll hear the voice of Winston Churchill. It's 1941. Now he's a great leader. We all know that, but he was a, an amazing motivator. And you just hear the passion, the pathos in his voice as he, what he's doing is he's speaking to uh, Great Britain, but he's really speaking to President Eisenhower and he wants him to join him. <clears throat> he's going, come on guys, if America joins this fight with us, then we are destined for victory. So it's just a small excerpt, but listen to Winston Churchill as he motivates people to join him in the great cause uh, in the war. Here is the answer which I will give to President Roosevelt. Put your confidence in us. Give us your faith and your blessing. And under providence, all will be well. We shall not fail or falter. We shall not weaken or tire. Neither the sudden shock of battle nor the long-drawn trials of vigilance and exertion will wear us down. Give us the tools, and we will finish the job. So here we are in verse 18, and we see Nehemiah. He is motivating the people, and he's telling them, he says, listen, guys, God's hand is upon me. God has revealed that this is what we are to do, and so he's appealing to them to think about that, that he is their leader, God has spoken to him, and now he's leading out. And the second thing he does, he says, not only do I have the, the king of kings approval and support. He said, but I've got King Artaxerxes approval and support. He's the one that released me from my job so that I could come to you and do what it is that God has put on my heart. And then the people said, and I love this, let's do it. Nehemiah, we've heard you. We see with our own eyes, we've heard with our own ears what you've been communicating. God has spoken to you. We're ready to go. And the Bible says, they said, let us rise up and let us build. And they began to build. You know, Nehemiah is, he's pretty remarkable. He loves God. He loves people. He's a great motivator. He is chasing his lion, if you will. I'm reading Mark Batterson's prequel to Chase the Lion. It's called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. I know that's kind of a crazy title, but it is an excellent book, and I highly recommend it to you. And he shares Lots of stories of how great men and women of God, they don't back down in cowardice, but they actually go toward uh, what is frightening them. They go toward the challenge and they take it on by the grace and by the power of God and the empowering of his spirit. So Beniah in 2 Samuel uh, went into a pit on a snowy day and he literally killed a lion. And after that, God blessed him, promoted him to be the chief bodyguard of King David. But Batterson talks about, well, what about us? You know, we, we may not be called to build a great wall, or we may not be called, I hope I'm never called to fight a lion on a snowy day in any day, but I know God has called us all to greatness. He's called us all to do great things for the kingdom of God. 
And like I said earlier, whether it's building our families or building your business or building your, your home, building your church, it's gonna take great leadership. Somebody that does their homework and somebody that's able to, to motivate and somebody that's able to push through uh, the difficulty. And Batterson talks about when God led him and his family to Washington, D.C. to plant a church. He said, you know, it was hard. It was hard work. He said, we'd already failed once in Chicago, but God said, go for it again. And so we went to Washington, D.C. And he said, um, got a call one day from the school board. We were meeting in a school there in the public schools. And they said, sorry to inform you, Pastor, but you got to leave. You got to leave the school because the school's in violation of different codes. And don't take it personally, but we've got to shut the school down and y'all got to find a place to go. And he said, man, we were devastated. We were thought, okay, God, what, what is going on? <laughs> we're just trying to be obedient, God. We're just trying to do what you want us to do. And so he said, I began to just research. And, and he said, I thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get somewhere around Union Station? You know, Union Station in Washington, D.C. has about 25 million people that pass through there daily. And he said, you know, there's some movie theaters in Union Station. To make a long story short, that's what they did. They found a, a movie theater in Union Station and they rented it out. And from there, they've gone on to plant eight different churches in movie theaters in Washington, D.C. What, what first, it looked like an impossibility. We're kicking you out of the school. But he said, you know, real leaders, they keep going, they press forward and they rally the troops. And that's exactly what, what he did. While he was researching Union Station, I thought this was really interesting. In 1903, President Theodore Roosevelt, he said, I'm signing this bill of Congress as an act of Congress to create Union Station and for other purposes. And Mark Batterson said, little did they know that those other purposes, a hundred years later, would be an evangelical, conservative, growing church right there in the heart of Washington, D.C. And Batterson says these words. He says, the goal of life is not the elimination of fear. The goal is to muster up the moral courage to chase the lion. Very motivating. That's the way Nehemiah was. He was a great motivator. Winston Churchill was, Mark Batterson was, and you can too. You can motivate those in your sphere of influence to do great things. Well, the last thing I wanna share with you today is we look at Nehemiah chapter two, and we're looking at verses 11 through 20. And we got to look at it because it's in God's Word. I know it's a little discouraging. I know it's a little negative, but it's just real. It's just it's what happens. And it's uh, opposition. Good leaders, they continue to deal with opposition. And there it is in verse 19. It says, but, conjunction, junction. Here's its function. It's going to tell you there's trouble coming. And we see these guys. Again, would it be awful to be remembered forever in God's Word as Sanballat or Tobiah or Geshem, these are all negative people. These are people that are just against, every, they were born in the negative mood and they're just against everything and they do not want Nehemiah to succeed. And so they rise up and they begin to oppose him and, and watch the way they oppose Nehemiah then because it's the same way the devil uses people to oppose us today. First of all, they laughed at him. <laughs> Have you ever been laughed at by the way? I have. I remember when I was in college and I went to a prison. I didn't do anything wrong. I was going to prison to preach the Bible, okay? And so I went into prison and there's this inmate. This is when you could actually get in the prison ground with the people. And this guy looked at me with this hideous smile on his face and he just began to laugh. He just laughed this devilish laugh. And I tell you, it, it creeped me out. I was thinking, oh God, please, please help me. And so they laughed at Nehemiah. 
Secondly, he says they despised us. Uh, they ridiculed us to scorn. They're like, God's not in this. This is just your ideal. You're just trying to create some name for yourself. Oh man, you just need to go on back to Persia from whence you come. Don't, we, don't, we don't need you. We don't need this. And then the last one, verses 19 and 20, if you look in, in the scripture, it says that one of those rascals, Sam Ballad, one of them said, hmm, so are you opposing the king? And you got to understand, that's treason. And what they're accusing Nehemiah of is, hey, by the way, Artaxerxes already vetoed this once. And you see that in the book of Ezra. And he's going, he vetoed it then, and he's going to veto it now. And you're going to find yourself in opposition to King Artaxerxes. You're going to be tried for treason. And man, it's just not going to be good for you, Nehemiah. So what does Nehemiah do? Does he pack his bags and say, okay, y'all are right. See ya. I'm going back to my good job. Hey, I had a good job. I had a good paying job. I was the cupbearer to the king. I'll just go on back. Forget this God. Sorry, you got the wrong guy, wrong time. He didn't do that. Hey, hey, hey. If he did that, we, we wouldn't be reading about him. We wouldn't because books aren't written about people who are cowards. Books are written and the word of God contains the stories of people who have courage. And this is what he did. I love what he did. He did three things. He said, number one, I'm going to appeal to the God of heaven to prosper me. That's what he did. He said, I'm, I'm not going to listen to your stories and your lies. I'm going to listen to God. He's the one that called me. I'm going to do this. Number two, he makes the bold claim that they're going to do it. He says, we're, we're, we're going to do this. You, you, can, you can try to oppose us, but you're not going to succeed. So number one, he appeals to God. Number two, he makes the bold uh, proclamation. We are going to do this. And then the third thing Nehemiah does, he just rebukes them. He says, I want you to know, guys, y'all have no place in this. You have no right, no memorial, no, you have absolutely nothing to do with us. And so we're just going to go right past you and do what God has called us to do. And it's interesting when you study these men and their posterity, um, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, one writer pointed out, I had never seen this, but they probably worshiped God and some other gods. They were syncretistic. They were pluralist. They, they said, yeah, yeah, God's good, but so is this God, and so is that God. And Nehemiah's like, no, we're going to worship the one true God. We're going to build this wall. We're going to see people get back into the temple and worshiping God. And so, excuse me, God has called me. We're going forward. He's quite a man, quite a leader. So that about wraps it up today. Thank you for staying with us in this message out of Nehemiah chapter 2. And at this time, we're, we're going to have an invitation. And I want to just encourage you as you stand to your feet in a moment. Uh, we're, the band's going to come and lead us in a time or lead you in a time of invitation. And I invite you, when you stand to your feet and just, man, if the Spirit of God impresses you, come forward and speak to one of our pastors or one of our decision counselors. And you may just need to come and say, I need to give my life to God. I'm, I, I don't know God. I'm certainly not walking with God. Can you help me connect to this great God of Nehemiah so that I can do great things for him? And secondly, I would encourage you, maybe your wall is impenetrable. Your, your wall is prodigious. Your wall is huge. And you have no idea how you're going to tackle that and accomplish what God wants you to do. And you need help. You need encouragement. So why don't you come? You may just want to kneel at the altar, or you may just want to take somebody by the hand. Ladies, you come. We'll have ladies meet with you, pray with you. Men, you come, and we'll have men pray with you. Or maybe this is the place. Maybe Great Hills, uh, the Radiant Church, is where God wants you to come and link your life with us. So why don't you come? Let me pray for you, and then we'll have the invitation. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. 
that is powerful, that is timeless, that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it does, Lord, indeed. Cut us between the soul and the spirit, Lord. It, it penetrates the thoughts and intents of our heart. And when we're laid uh, bare before you, as Hebrews uh, 4 teaches. So, God, we just pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to people's hearts, that you would draw them out of their trepidation and fear and their phobias, and that, God, you would just fill them with your spirit and enable them to do great things, God, that you have called them to do. And, Lord, we just give you all the praise and the glory for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.